Hey folks, many of us are still grieving over what happened over the weekend. A white gunman carried out a racist attack at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, killing 10 people and injuring three others. The majority of the victims were black. Now federal prosecutors must decide whether to bring hate crime charges against the shooter. In other news, the January 6th committee for the first time issued subpoenas to sitting members of Congress. Meanwhile, there were new developments in the New York Attorney General's investigation into Donald Trump's business dealings. A judge may lift a contempt order imposed on Trump, but he still must pay over $100,000 in fines. And an investigation conducted by the state of Minnesota found that the Minneapolis Police Department routinely engages in racially discriminatory policing. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. I guess we should start right away with terrible and tragic news from a lot of places in the country over the last few days, but in particular, another mass shooting in America, this time in Buffalo, where I think the president and first lady were visiting uh, earlier today or were visiting now as we speak and tape this. 10 people killed. People will call this, you know, another mass shooting. You know what a better term for it is? Hate crime. Or racist massacre. That's a good one too. Because that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting when you have a particular affinity or closeness for a particular location. As I tweeted over the weekend, Buffalo is very special to us. It's the first place my family lived in America. When we came here, my dad got a job at a hospital in Buffalo, and we only lived there for a couple of years, but it's tragic no matter where you're from, but I feel sad for the folks in Buffalo. And what do you think about it? You know, there's reporting this morning that suggests that this shooter spent a lot of time contemplating targets and even considered an elementary school, but rejected it, deciding that it would be too difficult to gain entrance. And look, I know a lot of people are going to say this, but I think it speaks so loudly to what's become permissible in the culture. Killing babies, targeting kids because they're Black. We say that, we look at these incidents, and we don't really contemplate that this requires us to reset in a fundamental way that we all have a responsibility we can't ignore And I fear that this happens over and over again, and we constantly miss the moment. So I'm glad to see DOJ jump in and call it a hate crime. I saw Kristen Clark, the head of the Civil Rights Division, commit to putting the necessary resources into this and other hate crimes that took place over the weekend. But I can't walk away from this feeling that we are fundamentally broken and we are not in the process of fixing it in a meaningful way. You know, I heard someone commenting over the weekend, I think a former ATF special agent in charge, who was talking about the sort of self-identity of someone like this shooter who armed himself to the teeth, who's wearing protective armor as well, which is why when a security guard engaged and shot him, it wasn't effective. So it's not always the case that a good guy with a gun solves the problem. There was a good guy with a gun and he died trying to protect those other people in the grocery store. The way he thinks about himself, 
and the way he armed himself as if he's a combatant and some kind of courageous hero, what he did, arming himself the way he did and shooting people because of the color of their skin, including children, including elderly people who were unarmed and unable to defend themselves and who were innocent. I don't think there's anything more cowardly than that that you can think of. Head of the police department simply refused to use the shooter's name when they were discussing the crime. And I think that that's right. These people aren't heroes. They're they're just the worst kind of, um, I don't want to call anyone a you know scum, but I think that that's fair here. This sort of notion that you would arm yourself and be prepared to move on from the first site where you're going to kill people because of the color of their skin to the next site and just keep killing. There's just something unspeakably horrible about that. So here's the here's a dilemma that occurs in cases like this. And it happens again and again, and I've written about it in my book, and I talk about it in my class, and you must have faced this as well. And the question is, so on this occasion, this shooter killed 10 people. The question arises always in cases like this, were there red flags, were there warning signs? And often there are. And sometimes there are recriminations because not enough was done. So in this case, the reporting is that this person appeared on the radar of police uh, as recently as last year when he threatened to carry out a school shooting at his high school or, or a high school. And state troopers apparently went to the school uh, on June 8th of 2021 because of a report that a 17-year-old student was making threatening statements. He, he even, according to reporting, or according to the police, was taken into custody under a state mental health law and was evaluated at a hospital. I don't think we know much more than that. Can you speak for a moment to the idea that we still are a free country? It is hard to sentence someone to prison and take them into custody for a long period based on a threat if they haven't actually done something. Do you think that should be made easier to do? What are the consequences? I I think this is just a very, very difficult concept for people. Yeah, I mean, this is not the right mechanism for preventing crimes, because we are, and I think we want to continue to be a a country where we don't put people in prison for something that they say, except in very carefully crafted circumstances. You know, to commit a crime in this country, you have to typically engage in both conduct and have a certain level of intent or knowledge with regards to that conduct. If we start putting people in prison because of things that they say, we're on a slippery slope. No one wants to go there. But there are ways, and and there's good scientific data about the sorts of interventions that work in this area. A lot of them involve education. And, you know, it's hard to avoid the notion that because we live in a society where there are people in politics and the media and even this horrible clip that's circulating of a Tennessee preacher calling Democrats demons and all sorts of other horrible language, that folks like that bear a significant share of responsibility for insisting that people eschew violence and for toning down their rhetoric. I don't think that the right thing to do and folks may disagree with me on this, is to make it easier to put people into some sort of custody. What do you do? Put put a kid like this in custody for 10 years, for 20 years? I mean, how long do you have to incapacitate people for to mitigate the threat? And, and how many people do you get who aren't a legitimate threat to society? This just isn't the right mechanism for prevention. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, 
that there actually is a red flag law in New York and some other places. So at least there was some intervention, there was some evaluation. It didn't stop the crime. We'll await more details to figure out if there was more that could have been done. Maybe he could have been remanded for a longer period of time. Maybe there was some treatment that he could have been given. But it's I find this to be one of the most difficult questions in all of public safety and criminal law is how many steps have to be taken before you can take extraordinary action with respect to the liberty of a citizen. And every time something like this happens, the urge is to take away more liberty at an earlier stage with less conduct. And then on occasion, law enforcement officers do that when they think someone is talking about committing a terrorist act. And then sometimes there are recriminations for that because they say, well, they didn't really do anything. You find that in in terrorist stings. And there have been controversies about cases like that also. I, I don't have an answer to this. I just think everyone needs to be very, very thoughtful as a general matter on these policies and on these laws, and then very, very thoughtful every time a particular case arises and figure out what you do. So obviously these are uh, homicides, first degree homicides under state law, and those charges have been brought. But waiting in the wings, as you already mentioned, is the Department of Justice. You mentioned the Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights Division, also on the scene that day and has made some public statements, is the new U.S. Attorney in Buffalo, Trini Ross, who I know a little bit, and I'm sure will do a great job. And we have the same question of who goes first. I think there will almost definitely be federal charges, and I wonder if you agree with that. And then second, the difficulty of proof here, given the evidence that we have seen already, pretty low, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a case where you can prove the hate crime motive. It appears from what's already known. One of the implications of bringing federal hate crime charges is that those charges are death eligible. In other words, capital punishment can be imposed in the federal prosecution. We don't know all the evidence yet, but the quantum of evidence here, given his writings, given his past, given all sorts of other things, we saw a conviction on hate crime charges against the men who killed Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. This seems to be an even stronger case. I think that's that's absolutely right. This is a clear-cut case of racial animus, at a minimum racial animus, that motivated the shootings. What do you say to people who note that this is a guy who goes into a grocery store, fires many, many times, hits 13 people, kills 10, maintains his weapon when police are on the scene, and he's taken alive? You knew as soon as you saw that reporting that he was white, didn't you? Well, I don't know for sure. But yeah, that that seemed to have been a reasonable conclusion. Look, there are a lot of smart people who are talking about this. But at bottom, there's some level of bias, whether it's implicit or explicit, in policing that displays itself across regions in the country, across departments, across different types of crimes that allows very dangerous white men to be taken into custody when Black people are killed in encounters with police, even even when it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Sandra Bland, a traffic stop, those sorts of encounters that shouldn't result in a life being taken. Yeah, no, it's I, I understand why people comment on it and scratch their heads over it and worse. You know, I think, though, it's worth pointing out, you can support police 
without believing that everything that they do is right or perfect. In fact, one of the most important ways that we support law enforcement is by constantly committing to be better, constantly committing to reform where it's necessary. We have a lot of improvement that we can make, and we can't change what's happened in the past, but something that we can do is learn from it. Part of what we need to do here, it's it's certainly not sufficient, but part of what must happen is committing to learn from these errors and thinking about how police can get to a point where they don't view Black men as more threatening than they need to in a way that causes these incidents that take Black lives. Yeah, that's totally, that's completely correct. So hopefully there will not be additional shootings and killings to talk about next week and we'll be following this case. In other news, further developments on the January 6th committee's investigation of the insurrection. A bunch of things happened, Joyce. A bunch. You and I both have talked about on the tube. One of those things is, and I was a little bit surprised by this, but not overly surprised. The committee, after asking for voluntary testimony from a number of their fellow members of Congress. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>